Today's episode is sponsored by Awesome Labs. For everything you need to build your own online store, do the smart thing. Visit beawesome.co.za. Awesome Labs, the web is chemistry. You're listening to Big Shot Business Podcast. The what, the why, and the how of building and running a successful business on the African continent. Here's your host, Linkford Biz. Hello and welcome to the Big Shot Business Podcast. Happy 2021 for the fact that we're able to get into 2021. Should be grateful for that. So welcome to this week's show, AFCFTA. I believe that's what it's called, AFCFTA. I wish they'd found a better name for it. That's the buzzword across Africa at this moment. Now, that's the African um, continental free trade area. It's the buzzword everywhere. And apparently the first goods to trade under this agreement went out on the 1st of January. And that was an exciting thing. Um, I'm not sure if you got a glimpse perhaps of some of the trucks that were uh, um, passing through your borders or passing through the roads near you with different flags on them commemorating the commencement of the AFCFTA. It's quite an exciting thing. There are so many protocols that have been put in place um, from trade of goods and services to settlement of, uh, of disputes. It's, it's really an exciting time. It's really an exciting time for Africa. And with help from, um, I believe it's called Afrexim Bank. That's the Africa import and, uh, Export and Import uh, Bank. There's even a customer due diligence portal that is being built right now so that credit checks and background checks before you do business with someone on the continent becomes easier. And these are all exciting developments and I really, really um, applaud all the um, leaders on the continent that have come together and uh, um, agreed to this. You know, um, the, the, the agreement has been signed by 54 out of 55 countries and it has been ratified by i believe just over 30 now and there's still more signatures and consent coming in from from other countries and that's very exciting that's very exciting because it means we are getting closer to the dream of having an integrated continent it means we're getting closer to the dream perhaps of africa becoming a single nation and it's, it's, I don't know if you're getting the excitement, but it's really an exciting thing. And I'm looking forward to bringing in experts that will explain it for us, you know, make it make sense for us. Because apparently this is going to be bringing huge and massive, massive growth opportunities for the African continent and for the African market. And this means great news for uh, businesses on the continent. And as you know, the Big Shot Business podcast is all about African business and promoting those businesses to make sure that we build and run successful businesses on this continent. And that's going to be really an exciting moment. So I really look forward to what it's going to, to, um, to bring us. And once I've, I've, I've brought some experts that um, will indulge in, 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 in what this whole agreement means for the entrepreneur on the ground, for the business owner on the ground, um, I, I think we'll, we'll get to, to, to know the implications and the, the advantages of it. You know, it's very, it's very exciting. It's a very exciting moment. I really applaud uh, the efforts that have been put in. And we even look forward to an African passport. 
imagine getting to a border and you're presenting an African passport. It's not a South African, a Zambian, or, or, or Zimbabwean passport. It's, it's an African passport. You have become uh, a citizen of Africa, not just a citizen of the nation that you were born in. And I think that's very exciting for Africa and open border policy, whilst it has its dangers, I think it's a very good thing for Africa, especially when it comes to trade, you know. So um, last week we spoke about um, ownership, asking the question, who owns the continent? Who owns Africa? And I thought this week we should continue with that, um, with that topic because there are more things to be, to be said about uh, that, that topic especially once we start looking at ownership as in the ability to control and uh, the ability to make the final decision on something, you know. So we, we, we really have to dive deeper into what it means to own the continent. And later on during the show, um, I will bring in a couple of entrepreneurs that I asked about it. And also I asked them about how business was in their areas and we'll get to hear what they say and what's going on around them and what they think the ownership of the continent means to them. So it's going to be an exciting episode and I really look forward to it. Now, when we talk about ownership, since Africa is a continent and a continent is only a continent by land, we own the world's greatest area of arable land, or do we? Because considering that in 2019, 43 billion US dollars was spent importing food. Africa imported food to the tune of $43 billion in 2019. And that's a very disturbing figure. That's a very disturbing figure considering we own, or at least we think we do, the world's most arable land. But then I also realized that arable land or owning arable land does not equal to food security. And it's been a question on many people's minds. Why hasn't Africa been able to feed itself? Why are we still importing so much food, right? I have my suspicions over why, and um, it, it goes into, into different agreements that our governments have signed, uh, agreements like perhaps AGOA. Um, I always blame it for everything. But um, some of those agreements, they sort of put us in a position where we can no longer make our own food and we have to rely on imports, promoting external businesses when we have enough chicken farmers on the continent. We have enough soybean farmers on the continent. We have enough coffee farmers. We have enough maize farmers. We have everything we need, you know, but um, some of those agreements have forced us into importing things as mundane as food. A man that cannot make his own food, man, uh, I, don't think, I don't think there's anything lower than that. That's lower than slavery, you know? So it's a, it's a, really, disturbing, it's a really disturbing thing. I'm not sure what the figures were for, for 2020. Those numbers have not come in yet. I'm hoping we can address this as well because information and data collection on the continent is still very marginal. You know, we still, we still don't have infrastructure in place for collection and analysis to an accurate point of data on the continent. Now we have to rely on organizations like the World Bank, which to me, trust level really is below zero. 
and we have to rely on, on, on external organizations to tell us what's going on on the continent. I don't think that's wise at all. I don't think that's wise at all. So we need to have infrastructure in place and systems in place to collect our own data and analyze it ourselves and get to a point where we understand what it means for the continent. So as part of the Big Shot Business Network, it will be one of the uh, um, uh, one of the aspects of African information that will be tackling the gathering, analysis, and distribution of accurate data, at least if we can get it as accurate as possible, that would be much better because I can't rely on, on World Bank figures because um, as I discovered just recently, World Bank uses organizations that focus on data on the continent. And those organizations that focus on data on the continent use World Bank for their references, which to me made no sense. It's like me using your clock to correct my time and you using my clock to correct your time. We could be six months off. So that movement of data really does not have the real transparency that we're looking for. And they use blanket statements. And that's one of the goals we are going to be uh, tackling as part of Big Shot Business Network in that we we want to confront those statements. We want to confront those uh, blanket statements that say eight out of 10 businesses in Africa, eight out of 10 businesses generally fail. But then I don't think that statistic is true for Africa because we do not have the data to support it. However, I don't also think it's not true. I just think it's inaccurate, right? So we need a level of accuracy when it comes to data. So those are some of the things that um, I believe um, an open market will, will, will bring us to. Now, getting back to the fact that we still import food, I believe that it has to end. I believe we have to relook at those agreements that we have in place, right? Agreements, especially uh, last week I mentioned the Green Revolution, you know, an effort by the Melinda Gates, or is it called Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Can people get shorter names? Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation, their efforts in creating what they're referring to or what they've been referring to for the past decade as the Green Revolution, better seeds, improved seeds, more resilient seeds, and all of that is GMOs, right? And they have pressured governments to change policies and make sure that those policies then promote or sustain the businesses that belong to the people that are creating these so-called improved and genetically modified seeds or sustainable seeds, right? These seeds that are apparently supposed to be giving us hundredfold yield when it when it comes to, 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 to the projects that we've been doing now and, and improving, improving crop yield by over hundred percent, which over the past decade, they haven't really done so. In other cases, food production has actually dwindled, right? So some of these organizations have forced our governments into creating laws that do not promote African businesses, into creating laws that do not encourage us to make our own food. It forces farmers on the African continent to be buying seeds from multinational companies that are not, one, African-owned, Two, have no African interest except selling their seeds, right? Three, their seeds are not even producing what they promised. Four, they're terraforming our soil. 
Five, they are causing diseases. There are some of the diseases that are on the continent now that we never had before when we relied on the soil. So it's high time we went back to the soil and produced our own food because we're still by far on um, the world's greatest arable land. And that's a, that's a very, a very uh, important point that we all need to come to terms with and understand that the continent has to start producing its own food, right? Now, I've always said this, that we inherited systems. We haven't, to some extent, we're beginning to create some, and this is very good because we're waking up. Africa is waking up, and that's a very good, very good thing. But we inherited systems, especially when it comes to how Africa was inserted into the global economy. We inherited a system where Africa was positioned as an exporter of goods to the North. The people that created the system, they created the system with home in mind. They created the system with, hey, look, this place is not our home, but it's, um, it's our field. We can, we can harvest as much as we want, exploit as much as we want, and export as much as we want. We don't necessarily have to keep anything here. They did build the infrastructure because some of them were staying here, but they, oh, they did understand, actually, that they were not from here. And at one point, they might have to return home. So they built everything. Every single system on the African continent was designed to support home for them. And that's their home, which is in the North. It was never, I claim this land for, for his majesty to come and stay. No, it was, I claim this land in the name of her majesty or whatever other, other, other claim that they had so that they can then use whatever was on the land to serve home where the queen or the king or the leader was, right? So every system was designed to send things back home for them. But we have to redesign those systems because home is not the North anymore. Home is not the West either. Home is here. So we have to redesign these systems. I was listening to, it was a business owner from, I believe it was Senegal, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, this businessman was saying that, and this information is, was new for me because um, I'm not vested in the logistics industry. So it was new information for me, but there's so many of you that are vested in the uh, logistics industry. And if this information is correct, please do say so, do comment about it and let us know. But he was saying in order for him to move goods from Senegal to Congo, where his other clients are, it becomes an impossible task, right? There are delays in movements. There are delays at the border. And he was also mentioning that for, for a multinational company, let's say an African multinational in that case, for them to be able to export goods outside the country, they need about 18, no, he said 28,000 documents. I found that very interesting. I'm not sure how far true that is. I'm not much into the uh, um, uh, logistics industry, but I found that very interesting, very fascinating. 28,000 documents. Imagine that. Imagine that for, for somebody to just be able to, to export. So that's in licenses, in taxes. I can just imagine how much a single business has to go through just to be able to import or to export their goods. It's very fascinating. And those are some of the things I say to myself. If, if I had gotten into, the, uh, into power, let's put it that way, and found these systems in place, the first things first I was going to ask before 
even perpetuating uh, the, 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 the extreme conditions that the system has, has created. The first thing I was going to ask, let's say, let's say I was in charge of customs. First, things, first thing I was going to ask is, what's the process? What are the steps that we are going through to check the goods that are coming in and the goods that are going out? And then for the goods that are coming in, I would go through each and every document and ask the question, why do we need this document? Why do we need this document? And if that why we need this document has no answer or is based on some legacy system from a colonial era, either that document changes or it's eliminated forever because it has become a barrier to trade. It has become a barrier to our people making meaningful livelihoods, to our people making meaningful business across the continent. So there are so many questions that we did not ask when we inherited these systems, right? So it really, it really comes to the meaning of ownership because if the meaning of ownership, right, means we get to control, get to understand and control how things are done and how things happen around us, then that's a great thing. We need to ask very important questions. Questions like, why is this thing here? Why do we need this here? Why is this document so important to this process, right? Of course, some people might say, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you, didn't study, you didn't study logistics or, 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 or uh, value chain management or anything of that sort. If value chain management adds barriers to trade, it needs a relook. If logistics has become barrier to trade, it needs a relook, right? If anything actually becomes a barrier to trade, it needs a relook. There are ways we can keep our economies safe. There are ways we can keep our borders safe. This whole thing of actually saying keeping our borders safe, these are colonial borders. Africa was never divided. It was only divided by colonialism. There are so many things that we will need to remove and I'm glad Africa is waking up to see it. So now ownership, Ownership of systems is very important. And that's why I, I applaud the AFCFTA, you know, the uh, Africa Continental Trade Area. Oh, free trade area, actually. It's free trade area, not just trade area. It's a good start. However, we have to move fast because most of the benefits that come with a free trade area, currently they benefit colonial legacies. When it, when it really comes to, to big bucks, when we're really talking big profits, it benefits colonial legacies because most multinational companies in Africa are not African owned. They're not owned by Africans, right? They're owned by some family in, in the North or some family in the West or some family in India or some, somewhere. Most of them are not owned by Africans. And that becomes, that becomes a problem because once we have made... Uh, free trade possible. That means most of the people that are actually enjoying that free trade, the profits are not staying on the continent. The profits are not being reinvested on the continent for development or for improving the livelihoods of our people. Those profits are being siphoned out of the continent, positioning again the continent as the place to just come exploit and get out. So that becomes that becomes a problem. So we need to own how things operate around us. And this is not isolationist policy. You know, this is about ownership, controlling what happens around us. And that's very important. Now, there are so many examples that I could give, 
but I'm going to start with the very mundane stuff, right? For example, there are, there are some very mundane things about Africa that are not controlled or owned by Africa. And I find it very, very interesting. I understand that uh, things like intellectual property still have to be respected. Somebody came up with the idea before we did, we still have to respect that, although it's an American concept, but we still have to respect that because we also want to be respected when we have an idea about America. We also want to be able to implement those ideas. So it's a scratch my back or scratch yours kind of thing. But some of the most mundane things about Africa, which control, by the way, very important aspects of Africa, they're not owned by Africans. For example, and, and this is very important because most people actually consume this content. Now, for example, Africa Today TV, Africa Today TV is owned by Euronews. Now, you could say, oh yeah, okay, the Europeans want to report on Africa, it's, it's, it's their choice. Okay, Euronews also owns African news. <laughs> and this is, this is the thing. How can we manage or own or control how we are portrayed when we do not control who's portraying us? I'm not a fan of the press, totally. As it is today, I'm not a fan of the press, right? Because they've become a force of destruction and troublemaking. Good journalism on the continent, it's, it's, it's really wasted in, in an attempt to build a career at the expense of the continent. Shame on you, journalists. Shame on you. Shame on you, news anchors. You have, you, you have so sought to get a very good career or become the most known Pulsar winning uh, journalist or any of those. You have become so concerned about your career at the expense of the continent, at the expense of your nation, at the expense of your people. In the United States, you find somebody reporting on somebody using their own money to feed the poor in the streets. People's living conditions, they are terrible. You wouldn't even think it's the America that is preached to us. The headline for that, this is what the press does. The headline for that, right, would be the good Samaritan feeds the poor. And then you find similar conditions. You find similar conditions on the, on the African continent, perhaps a squatter camp in South Africa. And the headline for that, and this is what the press does, the headline for that is how can the uh, South African government do this? Don't they have compassion for their people? Uh, uh, busy eating money and feeding their, their own stomachs and not feeding their people. Two exactly uh, similar situations with two totally different uh, uh, headlines. And that's what the press does. And this is why I'm not a fan of the press today. Um, a guy from uh, Business Day TV one said to me, good journalism is not cheap. I agreed with him at that time. But you know one thing I wish I had said to him? I wish I had told him in no uncertain terms that good journalism should never be purchasable. Good journalism should never be for sale. So don't tell me that good journalism is not cheap. Good journalism should never be for sale. You understand that? They have all become tools for oppression tools for propaganda, tools for disinformation, tools for misinformation, tools for fear-mongering. Shame on you. Shame on you. You have brought shame on your own continent in the name of, of becoming the top journalist. You are not journalist. You're a shame. Do you understand that? And the journalism we need is the journalism that also protects, also protects the nation. I remember there was a story, I believe it was 2019, where 
they went on the streets of New York and asked the question, is America still the greatest nation? I was amazed at how many people blindly said, yes, America is still the greatest nation. But then I also realized something. America has always had one theme. We are the leader of the world. That's all they've ever said about themselves. We are a great nation. We are the leader of the world, which is why you will find everybody in America wants to be a patriot. Everybody. Regardless that their nation has caused wars and terraformed countries across the, uh, the, uh, the world, they all believe that America is the greatest country and they all want to be patriots, which is a very interesting thing because their own government, they're not patriots, uh, dictators. They're the ones that go around the world and tell other leaders how to lead. America is, cannot even be compared to the Bible of leadership. America cannot be that example. So it's an amazing thing, really, when press promotes those views and then uh, uh, demotes what Africa is. Like, Africa is not jungle. Africa is a well-diversified continent with great developments going on. I'm not a fan of the press. Until they change, I'm not a fan of the press. And yeah, whilst I support free press, you have become so relevance-hungry that you have become purchasable. And for the fact that you're purchasable, that's not good journalism. Like I said, good journalism should never be for sale. Good journalism should never be purchasable. It's really a shame. So you find uh, um, Euronews owning multiple stations. Africa News is owned by them. Uh, Africa Today, uh, Africa Today TV is owned by them. Now, when, whenever you find such type of ownerships, you begin to wonder, the news that is being said there, does it have an agenda? Now, of course, this, this, and then this is the beautiful part of it, that um, the biggest defense lies and fake news ever, ever mounted for themselves is declaring truth a conspiracy. For the fact that, for the fact that it's owned by a European company, and it's also a member of the, um, I believe it's called European Broadcasting Union, and I'm amazed because there are so many other African uh, um, uh, broadcasting uh, corporations that are actually members of European Broadcasting Union, which is, which is very interesting to me. Why would an African station want to be a member of the European Broadcasting Union? Why? Anyways, uh, cutting the long story short, we do not own how we are portrayed. And it's high time we start owning it. And I, I really applaud um, uh, what um, I believe it's called Newsroom Africa, what they're trying to do. I really applaud that. I'm hoping they maintain, they maintain the goal of African ownership and African perspectives. Now, you don't get African perspectives by some clown from America that is referred to as an expert on African matters. You come to Africa for two weeks and you're now an expert on Africa. Well, sit down, man. Even if you were 10 years on Africa, you still wouldn't be an expert on Africa. Sit down. You understand? So these are some of the mundane things that are owned by other nations. And yet those things are controlling how Africa is perceived. Another example, Africa.com. Now, in most, in most cases, of course, many people that know Africa.com will be like, but Africa.com is for Africa. Africa.com is a website about supporting Africa that also promotes green revolution that I was talking about. And they're very selective when it comes to truth in that they would focus on what Africa should do 
and turn a total blind eye on what America is doing on the African continent. If you're going to be reporting and supporting Africa, truth should be key. Truth should be the forefront. Truth should be very, very important to you. And you have to call your own people. You have to call them on their BS. You understand? You have to. You have to because you can't come to us with one hand behind your back. We don't know what you're carrying there. Regardless whether you come in African attire, speaking, uh, uh, speaking pigeon, regardless, with one hand behind your back, we don't know what you're carrying there. So we are trying to eliminate every enemy within. And Africa.com being owned by uh, an American becomes a problem because America has an agenda. So almost everything American possibly has an agenda. If America can make a phone call to an African president and say, hey, there's a, there's a business that is trying to do such and such and such in your country and minister so-and-so is blocking them. Please sort it out. And it gets sorted out. They have an agenda. They all have an agenda, right? But anyways, we cannot really focus on things that we do not have full proof of, but we do see the science. We do see the science considering the amazingly stupid decisions that some of our leaders make on the continent and some of the agreements that they agree to. Amazingly stupid. It's really a shame that we would have such things as uh, um, uh, Africa.com. Well, the lady might have uh, stayed in, in South Africa for a while, but staying in Africa does not give you perspective, even if you stay 10 years. It doesn't give you perspective. You did not grow up with the conditions that Africans grew up with. Even if you were born on the African continent, and yet you are on the privileged side, you do not understand the conditions. You do not understand or what Africans go through. Therefore, you cannot be the perfect voice or the standard for what Africa should do, right? Um, another example, <laughs> and this one, this one is very interesting to me because there are a number of people that have tried getting into this industry and they didn't go anywhere. Now picture this. The website is called madeinafrica.com. Now, from, from that uh, website address, you probably have an idea already what the website is about, madeinafrica.com. So it would be about all the goods that are made in Africa. The website is owned by a company called Liberty and Justice. It's an American company that claims to be Africa's leading ethical apparel manufacturing company and value chain manager. So they're into clothes manufacturing and value chain management, meaning any high volume manufacturing of high-end brands or any brands from the United States or anywhere across the world, they are saying, please, do we have your stuff manufactured in Africa? That'd be nice, right? Except it's not African-owned. That's where my problem is. It's nice, yeah, but it's not African-owned. So if they decide to pick up today and leave, nobody can stop them, right? If they decide today to become agendasome, <laughs> if that's a word, if they become today an enemy of the continent, everything that they have done, all the information that they have, everything that they control becomes the continent's vulnerability, you see? And again, I'll emphasize this, this is not isolationist. We're not trying to isolate Africa. This is about ownership, not isolation. It's about ownership. It's about being able to decide what you do with our rice, being able to decide what you do with our maize. 
being able to decide whether or not we export it to England, whether or not we want to import English tea. You understand? So it's all about ownership. It's not isolationism, it's ownership. That's what we're emphasizing here. And it's a very important thing. So there's so many things, you know, so many things about Africa that Africa does not control. It's high time we started taking some of those controls back. And I'm glad Africa is waking up. This is a very exciting moment for me because Africa is waking up. I don't know about the, U, the, 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 the AU and their agenda 63, 2063, I think. That's 40 years from now, man. Why 2063? Why can't you just put it here in 2025? Right? You did mention that the political will is there. Everything that we actually require is there. The political will is there. The, 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 the legal will is there. The financial will is there. Everything is there. So why put it to 2063? Why not put it to 2025 or 2030? We want to see it in our lifetimes and in yours so that we can hold you accountable. But anyways, I do applaud what the, the African leaders have done and what they have really come together to do with um, uh, Africa continental free trade area. I really applaud that. It's a really, it's a really amazing um, step forward for the continent. And I've already noticed um, uh, Africa-EU partnership is already carrying the story. That means Europeans are already interested in harvesting again. But Africa is waking up, my guy. Africa is waking up. Africa is waking up. And the exploitation that has happened on this continent is coming to an end. And very soon, I think it will be an abrupt halt, full stop. Have you heard about Big Shark Business Network? It's the place to be for African entrepreneurs, business owners, and professionals just like you. Join millions of fellow entrepreneurs today by visiting likeabigshot.com. Big Shot Business Network. Connect, share, grow. No more exploitation of our resources, no more exploitation of our farmers. I mean, like, seriously, imagine if a farmer is making 30 cents on a dollar. 30 cents for their produce. That's insane, man. That's insane. That's insane. We cannot allow that to continue. And it's really, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. So if you, if you really, really want the continent to also move forward, ownership is key. Ownership is key. I'm, I'm really impressed by what uh, Mark Zuckerberg was able to achieve with Facebook. He might have, it might have gone public. He might have had a couple of other investors. But one thing he maintained, ownership. Control over where it goes, ownership, and that's very key. So even for African businesses, I believe you should also be looking into ownership. Ownership is key. Ownership is key, okay? Don't sell your business. Unless, of course, the only option to succeed is to sell it, but or maybe it was uh, um, a stepping stone to something greater. But if you have a great business, like what Paystack had, a great business like that, like what Paygate had, don't sell it. I'm here to ask Peter Harvey why they sold it. But anyways, uh, people have their reasons for doing what they do, but I encourage you as a business owner, you as an entrepreneur, you as a professional, don't sell. Keep ownership, don't sell. Keep ownership. Now, we're going to hear from some of the entrepreneurs that I spoke to about ownership, about how business is on their side and some of the opportunities that they are seeing. Uh, from where they are. Stay tuned. Hi, bro. Okay, so what is the state of business? 
Um, first of all, I'm in the media production business, um, which means TV and other forms of media, um, static or animated. Um, so right now it's it's um, in Africa most especially it's it is growing but um, um, very unequally really in countries like South Africa you find um, advances much faster than in other countries and um, also uh, monopolies of um, of the business at some levels by groups of people like you know your, your big players like your multi choice um, but it's a big industry there's room for everybody it's growing and obviously now with covid it's affected a whole lot of people with the cancellation of events so a whole lot of people who relied on events for to, to, to work like sound people um, some camera people have really been affected so in a nutshell that's that's the state of business in other parts of Africa um, they, they I see they're really quite behind in terms of knowledge and application um, so that's the state. It's it's huge. It's big. It seems saturated in places like South Africa. It seems so, but it's not really because at the higher levels, the the higher you go, the more you find there's less of us. And obviously, um, the higher you go, I see that there's a whole less um, black people. You know, at the higher level, or more more white people okay, to answer the first question um business seems good they said especially if you have been an established business already before 2020 the only ones that are struggling were or that are non-existent anymore are those small ones um, but uh, it seems like here they have mostly a network that seems to work for them Thank you, Linkford Bees, for the invite. I would like to answer the first question. What is the state of business where you are currently? Now, I should speak for the cleaning business, really, that we have here in Namibia, which is not that bad, actually, given the, the, the fact that we only started it about three years ago. Um, I think we were only 10-4 in, uh, in, in 2021. Um, and we are now competing, we find ourselves competing with uh, some of the biggest players in here. And uh, the main reason is that um, we basically feed off the crumbs uh, that fall off their table uh, to a certain extent, by which I mean um, big companies uh, uh, such as Bidvest, they, I believe they suffer from diseconomies uh, of scale, the size for them is too much that they cannot attend to some of the smaller issues that people are going through and um, also sometimes uh, you find that uh, they find themselves closing in times such as holidays uh, 
and we really have no time to close. So that's how we push our the mileage. Uh, when they close, we quickly receive the calls instead of them, and we go and attend to some of those uh, problem areas. Um, so the state of business in Namibia is actually quite commendable. Even though I know some so many locals believe that business is down. Um, and the idea of entrepreneurship is uh, rather uh, a, a new topic to them. They were used to uh, being taken care of by the government. And now that the government is seemingly uh, broke, as they put it, um, they, they, they tend to just think the economy is going down. But uh, we know better that uh, it's not the government that feeds the people. You have to feed yourself. And um, yeah. We are not doing that bad, actually. Uh, I should, I should say. You know. uh, to what opportunities? Like I said, um, I am looking. The, the bigger opportunities are in other African countries. All right. Um, the knowledge of best practices, they, they know very little. Um, even though the skill is growing, the quality of broadcast is still very low. Um, and people, they have money, they pay. They, um, I mean, the cost they are in US dollars. Uh, but um, it's, it's the, those opportunities for broadcast, the TV has not even moved to, they're still talking about, in some countries, they're still talking about moving from analog to digital. But this is from digital to moving to HD, which you know South Africa has already moved to. Um, so you find a whole lot of opportunities like that in Africa. Now we need, first of all, we need a, a will from the leaders, the political leaders, to go beyond themselves because sometimes you find budget for things like that that are pocketed by politicians. So there has to be a will to move and when we use the money correctly we'll have a whole lot more media schools that we'll have people are going to dream to get into the industry and have the right knowledge because not many people go into that because they are told that for you to make money you must be a politician or a lawyer and um, um, yeah I think that's, that's what to do so a, a, a willingness from the leadership to 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 make the changes and from those who can influence the leadership in south africa the monopoly because they are eating with the leaders they, they wouldn't be so much willing to open up unless this pressure put on them that you know doesn't help really so in other african countries we should push for more people to get into the industry and learn best practices and expose them to the best quality equipment like cameras and sound mixer and all that because the quality is still very low um know so do that in the whole range of things you know improve quality internet connection quality as well because that's a big thing in our industry without internet forget it um, in some other countries, they're still talking about um, um, bringing fiber in. They don't have fiber connection, which is a problem. So, 
um, our people are behind because of that. Um, Netflix is expensive because internet is expensive in some countries. In some other countries, they don't have Netflix. See, so um, it begins from the leadership, from the influencers and decision makers. Um, they should see that we could do better and that we need to do better because what we do influences the minds of people, how they think. We are very much responsible for how people think and then and, and therefore how much development we'll see. The second question, what opportunities are you seeing and what can be done to exploit them? Um, I should say that uh, in this country there is so many issuing of tenders. Uh, sometimes to people who are deserving, sometimes to people who are not deserving. And I think that um, if uh, any organization, mine included, get our act together, get all the papers that are necessary, get all the the, the, the stuff, the training uh, done properly, position yourself correctly, you'll find that uh, it's quite, quite possible to land a big uh, tender, which can then um, pretty much change uh, the course of business. I remember when we first got our, our significant tender. It was not that much, but it was, it was significant for a company which was starting from scratch. And this is when we went and identified our, our own opportunities, identified uh, areas that needed to be attended to in a certain mall. We say, no, look at this area here, it needs to be attended to in this way. It needs to be attended to in this way. And they would tell us that um, um, you have, you are the first people, or you are the first company to, to, to identify some of these problems. And this is way before we were even registered. And now that you are the first company to identify this problem, this it has never been solved in 11 years. Um, the problem was the cleaning of the high access windows. And they simply said, okay, go ahead and give us a quotation. We gave them a quotation. Uh, which was well beyond um, 100,000 rand. And they said, okay, now that it's beyond 100,000, we have to get a second and third uh, uh, quotations just so that, uh, uh, because it's gone beyond uh, what they call, I think it was the limit or something. Then I simply say, you know, let's give them a quick discount now because we don't want to compete with anyone in identifying a problem that, uh, in solving a problem that we have identified. So we basically gave them a, a 35% discount because we knew we could uh, afford it, but we actually had no idea how the job was going to be done had we even given the opportunity. Then they said, okay, right. Um, I think it took about two weeks uh, for them to respond, or was it three weeks for them to respond to that? And they did eventually respond to that. And they said, go ahead and do the job. And we quickly organized ourselves, find people who could, uh, with certificates to, 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 to climb high, uh, uh, certificates to high access, and then we basically just trained them. And voila, the job was done and business was up and running. So it's about positioning yourself correctly, going to places, uh, visiting clients, potential clients, identifying problems, and uh, positioning yourself well so that when the tender is then issued you are um, a first choice that's what i think needs to be done in, in terms of exploiting the 
uh, opportunities that exist. And then three, what do I think about ownership? I think um, Africa will be developed by Africans. And um, if the people are empowered, they will develop the continent. So that that is how we should think. And we need to wake up before the Chinese own everything. We need to. So jump in and take um, advantage of the opportunities that Africa presents. The largest youth population in the world, uh, great workforce, population growth, the free trade area and whatnot. All that means nothing to people because they're not trained for that. So um, invest in education, training, helping people to take advantage of it because we need to own Africa and therefore its advances in our hands. The Chinese will not do it for us, neither will the Europeans or the Americans. I guess he who owns the continent owns the people in the continent, right? Um, but it's said that the people on the continent are not really having a say or having ownership of production or anything um, because most of it is run from outside the country or outside the continent. Um, it would be nice to, to get to a point where either we start taking back or we fully take back ownership because honestly while we are renting something what we're actually doing even with our own resources and the landlord can always come and tell us what to do so that's a sad part of it and maybe that's why it has remained that way because it only benefits the few and that few is mostly the politicians because the men on the ground can work as hard as they can but because someone at the top answers to someone at another country then they can actually determine how slow or how fast your business grows. That's where and that's how we got to the corrupt levels of the continent where you'll have to be politically connected for your business to take off fast or to get that funding from a government institution. Which is really sad though that it's not about the business anymore, but seems like it's about the brown envelope and how much we can fit in it. What do I think about ownership of Africa? This is a very broad one. Um, it should be the easiest one to answer, but it's such so complicated that uh, even the issue of race comes into play, the issue of, uh, uh, what you call it, the issue of... Um, being appreciated as a as an african when you produce an african product in into this global market is it are you going to be appreciated um is it going to sell and uh, you see um, we are in a world now where the products that are more appreciated are either made by the chinese or the europeans or the americans and but strictly speaking in terms of uh, uh, the race or the color, then yeah, if it is a name, for example, you look at the, 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 the cars that are considered as the Italian best cars and whatnot, you have got a situation where you have Lamborghinis, those are Senems, 
of of the of the people who made those uh, vehicles. But if you want to use your own surname here, uh, the, the I would use maybe Nigerian surname uh, You name that uh, vehicle, you find that it's not gonna <laughs> sell on the global market. Um, but that's besides the point. That when you really look at uh, ownership of, of of means of production in Africa, uh, it basically means who it must be given to people who's got the capacity to. But we are living in an era where governments are conniving with uh, with uh, foreign countries. Uh, um, with foreign elements, the Chinese, the Russians, to come and mine, to come and uh, put their uh, footprint in the agricultural sector. They take our means of production and we are left in the balance there and uh, uh, the government of the day tends to benefit, tends to maybe sometimes benefit perpetually. We don't know what kind of deals they are making. You've got um, a situation where we cannot build our own roads we have to call a Chinese company to come and build our own road. Uh, I mean, China is halfway across the world and it makes no sense that up to now, Africa does not have its own way of doing things in Africa. You still depend on Europe, you still depend on, on the Chinese, you still depend on Americans. Uh, so ownership of the means of production is, is quite broad, very, very sensitive because it involves even uh, uh, they call it repropriation without compensation. If I if I if I if, if I'm to borrow from uh, the words of uh, Julius Malema, um, yes, uh, for me personally, it should happen sooner or later. It's just that we are living in a, an environment. Uh, we are living in a world where the government, even if suggesting, if you suggest such a such an agenda, you are seen as an anti-government because. Uh, uh, they know they're benefiting from that. So yeah, otherwise, thanks for the invite. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Remember to subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Be sure to join millions of fellow entrepreneurs at Big Shot Business Network. For this week's show notes, visit likeabigshot.com slash podcast. Until next week, this has been the Big Shot Business Podcast.